What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, have I told you about that dream I had the other day? What dream? So I had this dream. It was a sweaty dream? Nah. Okay. I was on this adventure. Yep. Well, I was in Germany during this dream. You're in Germany? Yeah. Were you and wearing I, Lederhausen? I was, yes. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, definitely was. And I was drinking steins of beer and I just got this overwhelming need to buy a dog. Oh, I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah. So I just popped on over to House Hamburg Shepherds. Oh, why wouldn't you? Yeah. You'd have to. And I know that they have the best German Shepherds, but the German Shepherds. So I bought one of their duchies. Oh, man. The best. Shit-mouthing German Shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so then in this dream, I, I finished my giant beer and mm-hmm. I took off my Lena Hosen. Yep. And I got that duchy mm-hmm. and I put it on a plane. Yep. Because they can ship them anywhere. It turns out I didn't have to even be there to buy this dog in this dream. Right. And I, I flew it over to the US. Yep. Right. So when I got there, I realized I need some equipment for this dog, this duchy that I've got. Wait. Were you in Canada or were you in the US? Well, I was in North America or somewhere. It's not important exactly Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And so I thought, oh, you know what I need? Some like training gear, some collars, some leashes, harnesses. So guess where I got it from? It sounds like it's a big lead up to an old mate, Mach LaPointe. Mach LaPointe. I just got under Canon Dynamics and had it shipped to me. Mm. Didn't matter where I was in the US or North America, actually. I had Canon Dynamics ship it to me. It was Wonderful. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, then I'm out training this duchy mm-hmm. in his all of his fancy equipment. The yep. duchy that I got from House Hamburg Shepherds mm-hmm. using the equipment I got from Canon Dynamics. Yep. And then I was training in dog park because that's how I train. Mm-hmm. And there were some people and they had some <laughs> sort of unruly behavior from their dog. Yep. And I think at this point I was in Ashland, Virginia. And uh, Fancy I, that. I thought, I said to them, they were like, oh, can you help us with this dog? I said, no, fuck you. I don't no, want to. I'm a dog part daddy. <laughs> <laughs> I said, fuck you, I don't want to. Yep. But I know someone who will come to your home here in Ashland, Virginia, while you're at work and will do like a little bit of a training session with your dog while you're gone. No way. You're not talking about Melanie Benway. It was Melody Benway I was Bloody talking hell. about. Kindred Canine. So I g- gave those details. Anyway, so I went on to, you know, do some cool things with this duchy. Mm-hmm. And then I had to come back to Australia yep. and I brought the dog. Wow. But you know what I didn't bring? What? Was any of his equipment. Oh, he left it all there. I left it all there. Okay. So I needed all new gear. And guess where I got my leashes, collars, tugs, harnesses. Dog mills. Blah, 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 blah. Buffed Central. Einswick dog clip. Einswick Buffed. Yeah. Yeah. And when I got here, I realized, oh, you know what? I had been traveling this fictional dog in my dream around mm-hmm. in the crate that he was shipped from uh, House Hamburg Shepherds. Yeah. Well, I need a custom crate now. So I had a custom crate bill by the Buffed. Wow. Einswick.com. Einzawiener? Einzawiener. Yeah. Einzawiener. Yeah. So after your dream, when you woke up, did you wake up with a boner? You've ruined it. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart, and I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. 
Welcome back, everybody, and welcome back to the studio, Pat. Thank after you. A long hiatus. The real studio, and mm. we we're just talking about how we're going to be doing a few little changes in here, trying to bring a better version of the show to everybody. Yes, we've been saving up through Patreon. Mm. Thank you, Patreon. I know we often say thank you, Patreon, in the episodes, like we're just trying to get more Patreons in, but we actually do appreciate the people who've been not only with us for a long time but the people who have jumped on board with us as well and support us. It's because of you that, you know, we've been able to upgrade all the camera gear that Pat's been using. Yep. Pretty much everything that we're sitting on and we're around at the moment is because of Patreon. Yeah. Mate, I still remember that day when we launched it and I was like, Glenn, we're making $40. I know. We're going to cover half of our hosting fees. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's amazing. You guys, uh, thank you so much. And as I say, everything that all the money is just going into making a better version of the show. And yeah. that was the promise that we made and we've yeah. stuck to that. Like everything that we've earned through Patreon has all tipped back into TCP. Yep. Everything. Yep. So thank you guys very, very much. This is what we usually say at the end, but we're saying it at the start. People, mm. sometimes people don't know what Patreon is because they just gloss over yeah, it. Yeah. I have end. seen that in the, in the forum where people have said, what's Patreon? Yeah. So not a push anyone, but so Patreon is like a paid subscription service. So like it's patreon.com. You can search for us there. It's, we are the canine paradigm. There's different tiers. You can choose to give money if you like. The actual podcast itself will always be free and available to everyone. This is just if you choose to give us money. And with that money, we buy stuff for the show. We pay all our hosting fees. When we first launched it, the whole intention was what did it cost? It was like $90 a month back then. And we've had to upgrade that because there's different costs in like, you can only host so much, yep. right? I can't remember. But back then when we first started, it was like 90 bucks a month that cost us. And it, we paid that for about a year. And now- we have lots of other ongoing bills for the show. I think our bills are probably 400 bucks a month or something oh, like that. Oh, more than that. Yeah. Yeah, more than that because we've got like Adobe subscriptions oh, that we yeah, have to use that, yeah. for editing. You know, we upgraded our storage because there were yeah. more demands to get more storage. Crowdcast. Yeah, the Crowdcast tax, is like $80 a you month. You know, like there's taxes now we have yeah. to pay. So um, anyway- So we, it shifted. It actually shifted into a whole new- Yeah, but we overshot our bill and yep. now we actually are in the black. We And all the money that goes in via Patreon, we use to buy more gear and to- Bring better pay content all our to the show. Pay yeah. all our expenses. Mm. It's like I it's am, like fans only, yeah. except there's no nudity. Well, I mean, <laughs> there's got to. We should. Well, we, we, a we, tier we just for need it. a tier for it. Yeah, we just need a nudity <laughs> tier. I mean, everything is available, and so that's how Patreon works. And just so that you guys are aware, what we've been doing in Patreon is putting out an extra episode per month. Then that's for like the three dollar tiers, three mm. bucks. There's there's an a huge backlog now. And if anybody were to join today, you get for three bucks, you get access to all of it, right? Yep. Then there's a $10 tier where I do a live Q and a, and that's usually on the content that's been put out or whatever other people want to do. Then you, there's other tiers. You see, if you go in there from there. So it's a, it's a small amount of money, but it, it all is a huge uh, help to us. There's a lot of good content in there, but one of the reasons I bring it up is because I have developed a bit of a, a hobby and a bit of a passion at the moment for little filmmaking. I'm mm. uh, really enjoying it. And you guys bought me all my gear. And, and so I cannot thank you guys enough. But I'm using all that gear to make content for you guys to go into Patreon. Yep, it's so your new obsession. It is. I'm really enjoying it. I'm yeah, really having a good I time. I can see. And so I'm going to be making a, a four-part series now. And so what I endeavor to do is try and still put something educational into the Patreon kind of every month, but it may not be like a huge production. The big productions that I'm going to do is going to be when it's ready, I'm going to put it in rather than being on the hook because I'm kind of learning as I go and I don't want the deadline. I don't want to put out content that's not ready because I want to do interviews with people. And right now I'm doing like a four-part thing on 
the untold part of raising puppies, the not training part, the rest of the day part. And I want to dive deep into the science of that and show, you know, the the behind the scenes type part for people who are successful raising puppies, mm. not training them to do stuff, but raising them to be great dogs. Yep. So I want to, I want to show that, but like I say, I, I can't meet deadlines on that. So something you'll be going in every month, but those will be coming when they're ready. I'm going to put them in. And like I say, I'm trying to do really as high quality production as I can on that. And you guys have bought me all the gear for that. So I appreciate it very, 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 very much. What are we talking about? I think you wanted to, well, when we were sitting having coffees in the in the green room, which is the kitchen, yes. uh, we were talking about getting back to basics and talking about training concepts. Yeah. So I wanted to just, I've you know, noticed a sort of a bit of a trend in, you know, online, different discussions going on and stuff about how handy a standard set of definitions might be. Mm. And so I wanted to just sort of explain the way that I use some words and then go into a little bit deeper on, you know, reinforcement schedules and stuff like that, because that's where these words sort of are around. I think that a lot of the times, one of the big issues that we certainly face in our industry is that we don't have standardized definitions of things. There's interpretation, right? There's room for, there's wiggle room in the things that we say. Mm. And I think sometimes we very often argue at cross purposes where we agree, but we're just using different language that doesn't allow us to agree. Yeah. Right. We have talked about this in early episodes where there's been controversy over almost teaching the same way, but using a different language. Yeah. And last week's episode was dealing on frustration. Mm. And that is frustrating for everybody because like you'll have an online conversation where you're thinking, you know, we're just at two different tie points here. Yeah. Yet you go out in the field and you think, hey, hang on, we're Doing, training the same. We're doing the same thing. Yeah. It's just named differently and that's what we've been fighting over for six months. Yeah. Which is kind of weird. Yeah, totally. Yeah. One of the first things we talk about is reinforcement, right? Now, I made a video on this that I've never put out. Maybe I should. But when we talk about direct versus indirect rewards. Yep. And we discussed this quite a bit when we've done detection episodes, especially when we had, uh, remember when we had Jerry and Cameron Ford on, who sort of are a little bit different in the way that they both really very, very successfully and teach then detection. Ben Lipinski. Yeah, then Ben came on and spoke about it. Mm. But so Jerry prefers and for longer a direct reward and yep. Cameron starts with the direct reward, but then gets to the indirect reward. Mm. And they both work. They're both what we found out when we spoke to both of them together is that they do way more things alike than they do different. Mm. It's just minor changes. But so sometimes I get, uh, for people who either haven't heard that episode or, you know, maybe we didn't explain it as well as we could have, the difference between a direct reward and an indirect reward. Now, this yep. is how I use those sayings and and this is th- those terms. And this is given to me by Bart. It's one of the first things that he teaches, whether it was the seminars he used to do or even at the silver at schools, is we, we need common language so we can continue to train together, yep. right? And I think these definitions really sit well with me. So the first is the direct reward, right? Now, the direct reward, in my opinion, has no bearing on what it is that will be the reward, right? Like whether it's food, whether it's a game, whether it's a toy, you know, whatever it is, it doesn't it doesn't matter what the physical thing, the reinforcer is, it's the delivery method. Yep. And the direct reward is, in my opinion, when you are like using that reward to bring on the behavior. Mm -hmm. So the pursuit of the reinforcer brings on the behavior. So if you're luring, 
no matter what you're using, whether you're using a, a toy or whether you're using food, whether you're using toy, whether you manage to do it via gameplay where the dog is just trying to get to the game and that mm. brings on the behavior, no matter how you do it, if the dog is just trying to get to the reinforcer, in so trying, by accident or on purpose, does the specific behavior that you want him to do, then you mark and reinforce. That's a direct reward. Yep. So in obedience terms, like, you know, let's keep it really simple, like luring a dog into the heel position is a direct reward because you're he's following the food into it mm-hmm. and he then finds himself in that heel position. In detection, it's like when the dog is actually looking for the reinforcer, right? Where the dog is thinking the reinforcer is actually out here and you can start that way and then make the association to the odor, right? So where the dog is actually looking for the toy rather than looking right away for an odor that he knows will lead to the toy. He's actually looking for the toy itself. Well, it all has to start with direct initially because you have to create that Pavlovian acquisition to begin with yeah. of understanding that this is why I'm doing it to access a primary reinforcer. Yeah. Like there is no way around doing that. It's then changing from direct to indirect later on in life when training methodologies may predict that that's what you have to do. Yeah. And so, you know, like in detection, we would say that starting at a direct reward where you're actually just hiding the the dog's Kong, for example, rather than the odor, there's benefits. There's pros and cons for everything. And the the benefit there is that the dog is not going to be looking for handler help or handler influence because he doesn't, you don't have any way to help him other than telling him where it is. It's not on you. So some dogs, you know, especially in that early phase of detection, they might be looking around and then go, Hey, but you have it. So like, how about you give it to me, Mm. right? Rather than me find this thing. So when you're building that, like what, what would be referred to as like that fixed action pattern where it's like, no, I will hunt aggressively for it. It can be very helpful for, it to really be out there so that the dog never looks to you for help or like just thinks, Hey, let's cut all this bullshit. Let's cut these middle sections out and get to the end where I get the toy and can influence you and prompt you to give them the toy. If it's not on you, you can't give it to them. So they you know, likely become more, more obsessed or more committed to the hunt for the toy. Mm. Right. So that's the pro of it in those sorts of circumstances. I think the con is more like in obedience where I think a lot of people who don't use their sequencing, their naming correct and that kind of thing, who have their dog on the direct reward, say luring, that's totally fine, but you have to have a plan for fading that lure, yeah. right? And that's the issue. I think that you can make, and you see people do this all the time. I was joking about it just the other day with the young GSDs that have like a flipping around into a heel and into middle and all these kind of things. And I can make it look like they're really well-trained dogs, but they don't know shit, yet, mm. right? Like they're just following food. They're hungry dogs. Yep. And I'm skilled in my presentation of the reinforcer and I can manipulate the dog's body by manipulating his head as he chases the food, right? Yeah. So I can make it look like he knows a lot of things. But I think what's really happening a lot of the time when you are you know, using that direct reward is exactly what we wanted to happen in the detection where the dog's really just becoming more committed to the the pursuit of the reinforcer and not necessarily paying too much attention to anything else that's going around. So in detection, we totally acknowledge, we say, I'm hiding the dog's actual food or Kong or whatever so that he's not really paying attention to me or looking to me for guidance Mm -hmm. because he has to do that work. Then when we want to do that in the obedience, we have to accept 
that the, what was true in the detection phase is now also true in the obedience in that the dog is just trying to get to the reinforcer and mm. is not really paying attention to you and not being influenced that much by you. So it can be tricky, and this is where most, I think, you know, people who are starting out and know the basics but haven't sort of, you know, taken that step to that next bit to become a bit more professional or a bit more, not necessarily professional, but more reliable in their behaviors is that having a plan to fade the lure where you go like, it's totally fine. I'm going to bring on these behaviors via a direct reward, but I need to have a plan so that the dog is paying attention to me, right? Like I need to have a way of saying to the dog, like, here is the command for the behavior, which predicts the lure. And Mm. if you want to get to that success fast, we don't need the lure. You can just get to the end result of where I intend to put you. And the dog will start making those associations, right? People often go wrong by giving the command and the lure at the same time, which, you know, we see all the time, right? And, And then the dog never really pays that much attention to the command. And this is where you kind of end up with two different things, I think. You end up with either a dog that doesn't really know the behaviors and the people lure forever. That's one of the things, Mm. which is fine. Most, if you're down the dog park and you're still luring, no one gives a shit. People are amazed that your dog can do anything, right? They don't care that you're still luring the dog. It's only until you go into competition or you're around other dog trainers that are like, oh, I can't help but notice you have the food in your hand and you're still luring the dog, right? So that happens. The people just end up luring forever. Or they become that guy that's like, he knows this. We've done 6,000 repetitions and now I'm telling him to do it absent the food and the lure and the dog doesn't do it. So now the dog gets a correction or gets punished for not doing it or whatever. And the dog goes, hey, I don't know what the fuck you're doing, right? Like you, you're saying some word that I have like absently heard in the background while I've been following the lure for two years, mm. right? And it's really easy fix. It's just like, say the word, wait one second, do the lure. So the dog goes, oh, I noticed that sequence of events rather than the overshadowing effect of you saying the word and then following the lure. Yep. What do you reckon percentage of like students you see that do that? Like name at the same time as the lure. And then, you know, there's that acquisition that just doesn't happen where the dog even pays attention to the name and they get kind of stuck luring. Without educating them, I would say that it's enormously high percentage the benefit that we have for them is that prior to actually going out there on the field, we actually educate strongly against yeah. doing that type of thing. So we hit them with the theory quite extensively up front and then we show them like it's a lot of explain and then we train and mm-hmm. then we say, okay, now you do it. But it's kind of like the processes of shaping as well is that we don't just set them up to fail to begin with and just say, oh, we'll just give it a go and see how it works out. What we do is we incrementally expose them to training programs to say, okay, this is how it's done. This is the pros and cons of why you're doing what you're doing. This is why you have to fade it out. So extensively through NDTF, like the whole program works on the philosophy of the teaching training proofing phase Mm -hmm. and then making them very aware of what the transition looks like in between. So they're actually quite aware of, you know, what that looks like and they can see the dog migrating across the phases of training. Mm -hmm. That's exponentially important because without that, what you have just been explaining will happen. They'll be locked into a continuous schedule of reinforcement the whole time and then wondering why 
absent of that, the dog will give them nothing. Will basically look at them and say, "Well, fuck you. Yeah. I'm not doing it because there's nothing in there for me." Yeah, but I think it's not that the dog's saying there's nothing in it for me. He's going, "I don't understand what you're asking." Better, better explanation. Yeah, yeah, and and that's the attitude that I think leads to that sort of unfair correction where people yep. go, "Hey, I've done the reps. Yep. I've done, I've done 200 reps. Yep. I've sit with the lure now, and, and me saying the word, but at the same time as the lure." Now I'm going to do it without the lure. Of course, the dog doesn't do it because the lure was the signal to do it. And then they go, you know this. We've done 200 reps of it. You are giving me a refusal, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of the gray zone that gets a lot of dogs shut down when people go, because dogs do give refusals. Sometimes dogs go, no, fuck you. I'm not doing it, right? Mm -hmm. Like that really does happen, but it's rare. Yep. And so a lot of the times when, if the do- if I ask my dog to do something, it's fucking rare that my dog goes, nah, I'm not doing that. Because the motivation's there. Like mm. he he wants what I have. I've got him to the point where he can't see what he's wearing for, all those sorts of things. So if my dog says, nah, I'm not doing that, I'm usually like, oh, well, like- What's happening here? Yeah, why, motherfucker? Yeah. Because <laughs> now my motivation's not, now I'm going to compel you to do it, but- it's very rare that that happens. Mm. More often than not, when a trainer says he knows this, I'd say, does he though? Are you giving consistent signaling that he knows? Because especially when a dog offers something else or when they stay engaged, that's when I'd say like, if he knew it, he would do it. Mm. Right. If I told my dog to sit and he goes, fuck your sit and he runs off and chases birds. I go, okay. Like, you know this motherfucker yeah. and, and you have chosen not to. You've done the cost-benefit analysis yep. and you've gone the food, the ball, the game, whatever I'm going to reinforce you with is less than the value of these birds. I want to chase those birds, so see you later. I'm not doing your sit, yep. right? That's a fact. Yep. But- What if you're doing positive only? Well, then you're in big trouble, Yeah. right? But imagine I look at my dog and I say sit and he downs. Mm-hmm. Now I'm like, well- that's not a refusal. He did the wrong thing. Mm. It's not fine, but there's a misunderstanding here more likely, or, you know, maybe the down's been reinforced too much. Maybe he misheard. Maybe it's a laziness thing. You know, we can't overestimate. Maybe it's just a bad day at training. Could be. Mm. Yeah. But like one of the things is, you know, sometimes dogs want to take the easier behavior, like conservation of energy sort of stuff. There could be lots of different things that would go into it, but then I can go like, no, I know you understand this and you've chosen to do the wrong thing and now you get a correction or you get pressured into the right th- into the correct behavior. Where people go wrong is when they go like, the dog really doesn't know. He's, he's, you've told him to sit and he's staring at you like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed waiting for the lure because your word means nothing. Mm. And now you go fucking crank, crank correction. And the dog's like, what for? <laughs> like I- are you are you correcting? Are you punishing me for the great engagement that I'm giving you, waiting for the signal? Like that's essentially what's going to happen. Yes, you're punishing the dog because it's directly linked. Yeah, mm. like he's looking at you, waiting for you to give the signal of the sit, yep. which you think is the the word sit, but to him that means nothing. And the lure, the action, the hand signal is what's going to make him sit. And absent that, he doesn't know what to do. You then punish slash correct whatever. Then you're into the the zone of like, well fuck, this was for no reason. I don't know how to avoid that. Now I get shut down or I do know how to avoid it and that'll be by avoiding you, right? Mm-hmm. Or or by avoiding that engagement with you. And now I'm no longer a willing participant in the sessions, right? So those are the tricky parts of like naming behaviors that are trained with a direct reward, yep. right? That is your model of a straight classical conditioning approach where you go like a new signal with absolutely no function, one second before, the old signal with a strong function, and your old signal is the lure, mm-hmm. right? Or the gesture, whatever it is that's bringing on the behavior. 
I catch myself pretty regularly fucking that up. Mate, I don't think there's a trainer on the planet who doesn't dip back into bad behaviours quite regularly. Yeah. But the good thing is, is that you identify with it. Whereas if you're ignorant to that, that's where it becomes difficult. Yeah. Like you can unwind something quickly if you think, oh, hang on a minute, that's an error in training that I really need to reestablish a connection with the dog because now I don't have one. Yeah. Listening to you talking about that subject matter, I often marvel at human behaviour because I'm working around so many staff at the moment. Mm. Like, especially when you know that they understand and have comprehension of behaviour and yet will bring themselves to a point of punishment and yet have issue with you because they've been punished because of their behaviour. <laughs> and that intrigues me. Yeah. Like, I'm often intrigued. Like, I, I'm past the point of disappointment. I'm often intrigued. Like, because I can have the conversation, I, th- I say to people, why did you do that? Knowing full well that that would lead to this moment where you and I are sitting across a table discussing your future now. Mm. Why did you do that? Mm. And the remarkable thing is that people will just sometimes just shrug their shoulder and go, I don't know. Mm. Now, I don't always believe that. Mm. I wish I could have that conversation with a dog to find out why did you chase those fucking birds? Mm. You know, like, why did you do that when we've spent like the last three years drilling this exercise to perfection or what I believe is perfection where you've never done it before yet today for some reason you decided to do it why is that yeah i'd love to have that conversation with the dog like i can actually like if you do something or i do something we can have a conversation with each other and we can ask each other and you might say you know i just had fuckery on my mind today yeah and maybe i don't like you or maybe i I did it just because fuck you that's why yeah i sometimes wonder if that's what the dog thinks if that's what the dog goes today i just you know, I had chaos on my mind. Yeah. You know, and I don't care. Well, I think, and trust me, this is the sort of shit I think about a lot. Me too. <laughs> uh, we're just slaves to our genetic impulses. Yeah. And so what's important to me now is less important to me, is less important than something later, right? Like take this for example. This is what I do. Yep. I overeat. Every yep. meal. Every goddamn meal. You're talking to- <laughs> You're talking to a guy that lives with a healthcare professional who, like, Narelle is a, she's a, you know how you have your obsessions? Yeah, yeah. Narelle is a, obsessed with canine and human fitness and health. Yeah. Like, that's all she does. She just studies around the clock. Even when she's complaining to me that she's tired and run down, yeah, yeah. she'll open her computer and start studying. Yeah. And I just look at her with disbelief, like, going, why? Yeah. Why would you do that? You know, like, you're tired. And here I am, like, not the bastion of good health. The guy that looks like a Stay Puft Marshmallow Man at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> like, seriously, I was looking at myself. The other, like, I had to go to a wedding the other day and I'm, I was trying on clothes. I'm thinking, fucking hell. Six months ago, pre-COVID, or pre-COVID I could fit into this comfortably. Now, I can't do the zipper up anymore. Yeah. I'm thinking, you bastard. So, let's get a bit more technical on that, right? Okay. So, I overeat. And one of the things I... Like it's one of the reasons I don't eat breakfast is I have figured out if you just overeat twice a day instead of three times a day, you, you sort of do less damage, right? Yep. But one thing I'll do is chocolate. Now I'm crazy for it. Like, I, it's like, kryptonite, right? We can't keep it in the house mm. because I'll eat everything. I'll eat the whole lot. I Like I don't have self-control. And as I'm eating it, I'll be thinking about the stomach ache that's going to come of this. And I have trouble sleeping when I eat too yep. much chocolate and all these kinds of things. Yep. And I know that will happen, but- my subconscious does the cost-benefit analysis and goes, it is worth paying the toll. Yep. Right? I know what the toll is going to be. 
I know that I'm going to have a terrible sleep. I know I'm going to feel like shit. I know I'm going to sit in this self-loathing and regret. But the juice was worth the squeeze. but it's worth it to me. Yeah. Right? Now, that's the issue of punishment not being effective. Yep. Right? It's aversive to me. Yes. Right? So, when I overeat or when I eat too much chocolate, for example, let's stick with that example. I eat too much chocolate. I know- that the consumption of that, the behavior, mm. will lead to an aversive experience. But the aversive value is less than the positive value of the delicious chocolate. Yep. Right? And even add to that the contempt I feel for myself afterwards, all those things- Don't weigh up to the pleasure of eating the chocolate. They're less than. Yep. Right? I agree with it because I have that same dilemma. So this is the issue of when we talk about, it's unlike us to just jump around, but we will. (laughs) (laughs) This is the issue when we talk about punishment Mm. is that punishment has to be aversive enough that you go like, oh, I won't do that again. Yes. So- Take the example of your staff that do something that you know then leads to punishment. Once or twice, that's their ignorance got them into that position, Mm. right? They're like, oh, I didn't realize that it would lead to this aversive experience, right? But if it continues to happen or if they have seen it, like somebody else, because as humans, we get to learn from other people's mistakes. That's the intrigue. That's where the intrigue comes in at that level. Well, then, yeah, for them, they probably think, oh, that won't happen to me because of other mitigating circumstances, Mm. right? But so there's the point where you go, I want to eat the chocolate and the cost is less than the value of the chocolate. So I'm going to do it, right? Now, if I ate chocolate, you see people who are proper lactose intolerant, right? Or, you know, have like proper allergy or whatever, and the cost will be too high. They go, oh, no, I'm not doing that. But even then, sometimes, and this is why we say like, this is why I'm a balanced trainer because values are fluid, Mm -hmm. right? So, like, I know people who are lactose intolerant and, like, once every six months just smash a whole pizza, yep. right? Because they're like, fuck it, I'm, I want that. Yep. I don't want it enough to do it every Friday, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to put myself through the torture of the weekend on the toilet every week. Yep. But, but- once every six months, I am, yep. right? Because the value of, like, the missing of the pizza, right? So, we're, we're talking negative reinforcement. It's the combined use of negative reinforcement, positive reinforcement when we talk hunger, right? Or even just what desire for a delicious food, right? It's like I miss it. That's a pressure that is motivating me to eat it. Eating it is positive reinforcement. And several hours later which I've made the association to, I know that it's caused by this, I get very unwell. And that's a price I'm willing to pay once every six months. How right? often have you woken up with a hangover and said, I'll never drink like that again? <laughs> exactly. Perfect example, yeah. right? You go like, I know this is going to happen, but right now it's worth it, yep. right? And so that's, the what, moment. that's what happens with dogs yep. as well, is they go like, hey, I know what not doing this will lead to but I haven't chased a bird in minutes. It's been three minutes since I chased a bird. Do you think they analyze like that the same way we do? No, but I don't think people do either. I think think slave to genetics is a- Yeah, but that's what I mean. So like you eventually get to the point, because like I am an overthinker. I doubt too many people even think this through in the same way that I'm explaining it. Mm. I think that you're a slave to your genetic impulses. And and though the 
the value of aversives and reinforcers is fluid. I think yep. that's something that we always have to acknowledge when we're training a person, when we're dealing with our own desires, when we're training a dog, anything mm. is that you got to go like, you know, here now in this moment, food is of a particular value, but later it will be of a different value. And in the presence of something else, it's another value. This is one of the things I made a, a, um, a YouTube video about where we're talking about um, dealing with a bitch in heat. Right. Yep. And it's something that seems to come up quite a lot. And often the advice is to like starve the dog out, right? Like no food. Like if you don't want the food, like, yeah, we're training for food. You absolutely need that to survive. If you don't want to train for the food, then you get no food. Right. And that's often the advice that people give. But the thing is, we've created this very unnatural environment where a dog that will forego his own safety in order to reproduce, right? he will pass on his genes and that trait will be passed on. So it's really not uncommon to find a male dog that in the presence of a bitch in heat doesn't eat mm. because if he doesn't eat for two weeks in the pursuit of a bitch in heat, no big deal. She will no longer be in heat and he will eat and he went to, he had two hard weeks. Yep. Right. But what we do is we, because I have to proof my dog off the smell of a bitch in heat, we get the urine of a bitch in heat that we use as a sampler to try and proof the dog off of it. And he doesn't have a mechanism in his brain like to sell him, you're going to starve to death. He will happily starve to death mm. because evolution has told him that's only going to last two weeks. Yep. You just get through it. It will only last two weeks. And so he didn't develop a mechanism to say to himself, I'm in bad shape. Like I need to eat and I need to stop pursuing reproductive sex. Mm. I need to eat doesn't have that in his brain. So there are some dogs and they're the good ones. This is the issue, right? They're the good ones that are like, no, I'll never stop. I'll never stop doing this. This is all that is important to me. And evolution has chosen that dog and made him the best version of the dog likely because he's like, I have to reproduce. And this will only, he doesn't know that it will only last two weeks, but something tells him just keep going, just keep going. Yep. So you deal in these weird fluid values. You will never, you, no matter how hungry you make that dog, he will never be hungrier than he is more desire to reproduce, mm. right? Because that's why he survived. Yep. So there's other techniques you can do. And I'm not saying all dogs are like that. I'm just saying some, like that that trait exists. No, and, I, I and agree. It's a it's a worthy explanation. Yeah. So yeah. there's there's these fluidity of values of things. Some, that dog could have the highest food drive on the planet and in the presence of a bitch in heat, he has zero food drive because he knows that will come later. And it's a, I feel like that's an example in line with the person that wants the pizza, where it's like, I can put up with this for a little bit, right? Do you also find that sometimes you find reward in doing the wrong thing, like breaking the status quo? And well, because I'm speaking from personal experience, and sometimes, you know, in my own life, I've done things because I feel like I just need to break the pattern of life sometimes. And surfing on the edge of that dangerous ambition has somehow given me reinforcement. Like I felt. I don't know. It gives you a bit of spice back to your life sometimes. Well, totally. And that's the danger of a variable punishment schedule, mm. right? Is it like, can I get away with it? Yes. And you see some dogs make a game out of what can I get away with? Yeah. I love that when you see, especially you know, when you see, uh, say, a police dog or a military working dog that's being reteamed with a new handler, mm -hmm. especially if he had a really good handler, yep. right? I love watching the dogs push and see like, at what point do I get corrected by you? 
That I understand. I understand that with a new handler, it intrigues me more when it's with the same handler. Like the dog will pursue a behavior like just suddenly, you know, and it just comes out of the blue and you just think, why today? Yeah. Like, why are you doing this today? Yeah. So it could be slave to that genetic impulse. Yep. Could be definitely beer. But I feel like also- could definitely be it. Oh. <laughs> the slave to the genetic impulse could definitely yep. be the reason. Yeah. But also I think that some dogs and people make the game out of will you catch me and will there yeah. be an aversive, right? Yeah. Because that can be fun and it's a high stakes game. And especially if your aversive is that, it is aversive, but not so much that the dog isn't willing to endure it if he's caught. Mm. So he's like, I know there'll be a negative outcome in this for me if I'm caught, right? And you see, this is could be another reason why potentially you, you have issues with your staff, right? Is yep. it's like, if I get away with this, I know that if I'm caught, I know that 100% that I'm doing the wrong thing. But if I'm not caught, the payoff will be worth it. Yep. If I am, it's not. And therefore, there's the thrill of the risk, right? And I think that this is why we speed. I, sometimes- tell you a secret now and again not a lot but now and again i drive faster than the posted speed no <laughs> right not often no but sometimes i do it fancy that imagine that that people do that imagine if there was a business to catch people speeding yeah well this is the thing right? wow but they're not everywhere yes they're not so sometimes they're places and sometimes they're not but- can i tell you a secret yeah motorcyclists are very aware of that <laughs> And have, have codes for each other on the road. Yeah. I uh, could imagine. <laughs> yes. But here's the thing, right? Yeah. If your car dobbed on you, right? If there was a consistent punishment I, I think that will come. For sure. Yeah. Right? It'll be like the movie with Sylvester Stallone, Demolition Man. Oh, yeah. Where when he swears, you know, you start getting fines. I yeah. think that in the future when you're, you know, like your smart cars will start dobbing on you and yeah. start saying, okay, well, you've exceeded Well, the they probably just limit. won't let you do it. They probably just will cut out and it won't be able to happen. No, no. There's a business in finding people. What are the three seashells for? No one knows. (laughs) I actually looked it up and no one knows. There is a- He doesn't know how to use the three seashells. (laughs) Because no one fucking knows. (laughs) Now people are going to be like, what the fuck are they talking about? You got to watch that movie. Demolition Man. I think that's the issue is that, say, take that example for Mm. speeding, right? Is that sometimes you're caught and the punishment is significant. Right? Yeah, you lose your license, yeah. your demerit points, but, whatever. But sometimes you're not, and so it's like, oh, it wasn't. So first of all, there's the reinforcer that comes of having done the speeding. You got to where, you, for whatever reason, you wanted to do it, and you did that. But then there's the thrill of, oh, I wasn't caught. Mate, you should see me drive them out. i got one point. I drive like an old lady. But that's why they introduced demerit points, right? Because yeah. there's people who are rich enough to say, well, fuck your fines. I don't care. Yeah. Keep finding me. Yeah. You know, and there were people that were doing that. Like there were playboys back in the in the day yeah. who were just saying, yeah, I'll, I'll pay the money. Pay I don't care. Yeah. And go for it. So it's not aversive to them at all, right? They that's had to right. Be but now they thought, well, to fix you, mm. I'll layer in demerit points yeah. with it as well. And that way it's punitive because you can only have so many and then you lose your license. Dude, I got done- in the new M4 tunnel, doing 46 in the 40 zone oh, that at 10:30 at night. That stinks. Yeah, right. So that and that was why. That's why I'm on one point. Yeah. So I drive around like I drive around like a death row inmate because I can't have no license. Like I, 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 how the fuck would I get here? Yeah. So, oh, mate, I, I can't do anything wrong. Mm. But there's a thing, right? Because. Exactly as you said, a fine to me is aversive. I'm not rich. I, that's a big kick in the dick to me. I lose a big chunk of money that I need, yep. right? But 
losing my license would be catastrophic to me. Yeah. So when the stakes are that I can just right, I can just exactly. get fine. That's I'm where like, we're going. With Ooh, this. I'll play the risk, mm. right? I'll, mm. I'll play the risk of this. I'll I'll roll the dice, see how I go. But at the moment, I never fucking roll the dice, man. Yeah. Like I can have people like, you know, in a 40 zone, especially. Yeah. We're talking kilometers an hour for people that don't know. In, like in, in Australia, a 40 zone would only be because it's a school or like what happened to me, there was roadworks that yep. wasn't happening. They drop it down to 40. Yeah. There's emergency services. I think you're supposed to slow down to yeah. 40 Ks. And the school zone, everybody does it. It's usually most people are good. But roadworks, I'm like, fuck those guys. They know the risk. <laughs> and they're, two, they're two lanes away that's from me. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's, that, that's really absurd. At that yeah. time of night, when they're all coned off and, and there was no roadworks. There was nothing going on. That is, that fucking infuriates yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even want to go there. Yeah. I'm, you, but so, talking about fucking rising anger, that really gets my gut yeah. up. But so now, yep. when I go somewhere and it's the 40 zone, yep. I'm doing 40. I, I, I'll set the cruise control and I cause a traffic jam. People will yep. be riding my ass. Like people, I've had people tooting at me and I'm like, dude, you can toot all you want. Yep. Your tooting doesn't put food on my fucking table and being able to drive to clients. You just put your hand does. out the window and do the royal way. <laughs> go round. Go round, old boy. So the punishment yep. to me is under no circumstances yep. worth- You've met your ceiling. Yeah, You've met your right. limitations. That's right, yeah. right. And when I get some points back mm. and I've got some wiggle room- I can speed again. Well, Yay. I might take some risks that I wouldn't dream of taking now, yep. right? And I feel like that's what we have to sort of confront when we're talking about aversives, if we're going to do it in training, is mm. that aversives need to be exactly that, right? They need to be a thing that you like- uh, a consequence from which, first of all, there's no escape, right? Like you committed whatever it was that I want to punish, you did it. Nothing you do can stop this, right? I've made the association for you. You know why this is happening, mm. right? Now, if it's a person, you can say, hey, for six months ago, here's the fine you get in the mouth. I didn't get that fucking speeding fine until like three weeks later, right? Mm. I still make the association because I can, right? They told me, here's the picture of your car, right? I make the association. For a dog, you need to be able to provide that marker in that moment and go, yes. this is the reason. Yep. Then you have some time to deliver the punishment. Yep. But punishment, if you decide to use it, needs to be exactly that. It needs to be like a cost too high, right? Yeah. It needs to be a a cost too high. You've got to say like, hey, man, this is what will happen every single time Mm. you do this behavior. Yep. This is what will be provided to you. No ifs, no buts, no maybes, and there's nothing you can do to stop it, right? Mm. Which is what makes punishment kind of hard to use. And then that like punishment stacking becomes important there as well. So that you're like, okay, or not necessarily punishment stacking, that's a bad word. It's a fluidity of punishment where you need to be able to read in the dog in that moment and go like, what is it that will make this not worth your while ever again, mm. right? Because what would have worked two minutes ago in one circumstance with one set of tools is not necessarily going to work in the next circumstance with another set of tools. So I think that's you know very important to understand is that cost-benefit analysis. You got to constantly do it. Yep. And you just have to, if punishment is your intent, you have to make the cost too high where yep. it's just like, nah, absolutely not. No way, I'm not doing There has that. to be a ceiling that you won't go past. Mm. Everything has to have a line. Yeah, I absolutely believe that. Why do you think that stacking is a bad word? What's that? Uh, I just don't want people thinking, this is a tricky topic. Yeah, but demerit points and fines are, are stacking. Yeah, like yeah, They're that's stacking right. yeah, punishments yeah. together. Yeah. So, you know, and then there's also the level that you can lose your car. And there's also the level that, that you can remove your liberties entirely by giving you jail. Yeah. So there is a stacking system in there. Yeah. I mean stacking in regards to negative and positive punishment. Ah, ah, ah. Right? Yes. Because- 
like there is a way I think that they should be used together, mm. right? But I don't want to go too much into that in this conversation. I think that's a whole nother thing. Yeah, that's deeper into the weeds. Yeah. Mm. Jeez, we've strayed a long way from direct reward. Yeah. Oh, and I was talking about the video. Let's cycle all the way back around. Yep. So I have this video that I, I should put out, but it's Rip doing detection with pizzas, right? So we got three pizzas and he eats the pizza that is just bacon and cheese. Yep. And you know, pizza boxes have like the little hole to let the air out, the steam out. Yep. So we put them on the table and I say to him, which one's your pizza? And he goes and he sniffs through the holes. He finds his one, he opens it and starts eating it. Yep. That's a direct reward. Yep. All right. But then if I were to say to him, find your pizza and I will give you this chocolate and he sniffs and goes, this is my one. And then I go, here is your chocolate. That's an indirect reward. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a like really handy way of explaining it. It is a, People it could is a good get way. That. Yeah. yeah. I want, I've got a video. I've got that all filmed. I just didn't, I just thought that putting that out, people would be like, this fucking psychopath is doing detection. Come on. You're allowed to have fun with your kids. <laughs> this psychopath is doing pizza detection uh, with his kid. No, that's, that's good fun. That's, that's part of being, having good family fun with you, with your kids. Yeah, pizza detection. Pizza detection. Why not? Yeah. Hey, yeah. so then the other thing is indirect rewards. Yep. Right. Indirect reward is where the dog does a specific thing knowing that it will lead to a reinforcer, right? Yep. So he does like, okay, I'm not just following the reinforcer. I'm going to make a conscious choice to do a behavior yep. and that will lead to a reinforcer that like maybe on the handler, it may be away from the handler. It might be food. It might be ball, might be the game, could be anything, mm -hmm. but it's just the dog going like, okay, I know the behavior that will lead to that. Yep. And in training, if you want to call your dog trained, especially if you want to go into competition with your dog, now you need to take the step up from the person that is like the dog park guy that can dog can do a bunch of behaviors so long as he's holding the ball and posturing himself right and all that kind of stuff, right? If you want to be in competition, the dog has to know your commands mm -hmm. and know that there's a possibility that could lead to reinforcement, yep. right? And that's an indirect reward. So everybody has to get to the indirect reward. Right? But that happens between teaching and training phase as well. Like if you're using inducement and luring a dog in position, you've got direct reward. You've got yep. it in front of the dog's face the whole time. Yeah. And then through, you know, like the transition to the next phase, you have to go to indirect reward because you have to show the dog it's not in my hand anymore, yep. bro. You know, like you have to do the behavior now. Then there's the possibility of getting the reinforcement based on if I'm happy with the behavior and whether or not I'm going to mark it or not. Yep. That's an easy transition between the two of them because that directly links between direct and indirect reinforcement. Yeah, totally. Yep. And, but I feel like that's often what's missed. And so the conversation around the direct reward and the indirect reward usually sort of happens as one or the other. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's much more fluid than that. I think that the direct reward has to eventually become the indirect reward if we want to call the dog trained. Yes. Right. But I because think, then you go to proofing phase. Yeah. But starting with the indirect reward, which would be then shaping. Yep. Right. Can be helpful, but it comes at a cost of the precision that's available and the clarity that's available via the the direct reward. Yep. So there is no like right or wrong. Like and and I've been guilty in the past of being leaning too heavily towards recommending shaping because my impression was that I have to get to the totally indirect reward, so why not just start there? Yep. Right? And I have two dogs. One was 100% lured, Valerie was 100% lured herself, right? Mm -hmm. Start to finish every behavior. 
and Remy is 100% free shaped. He can't follow a lure. And looking at them both now, you'd like to mash them together. I want them together. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and every dog that I am now involved in the training of, mm. and what I encourage other people to do is, you know, somewhere in between. And I settled on the term help the dog as little as possible, but as much as necessary. Yeah. I'm a, and, I'm a fan of that. Yeah. Mm. And being too rigid in a direct versus indirect reward system, I think is seldom helpful. Mm. So in my opinion, I'm going to go with the one that's going to help promote not just the behavior that I want, but the attitude that I want. Yep. And so if I'm teaching something very specific, that'll be a fair amount of luring to start with, with a clear path to fading that lure. Yep. Because that's going to bring precision and clarity, therefore attitude. But if I'm teaching something that like problem solving skills, yep. I'm going to go straight to the indirect reward. Yep. And start shaping it. Yeah. And mm. shape it so that the dog is learning well, problem it's, it's solving. It's still shaping regardless. Like even if you're yeah. luring, you know, I mean, if you're getting into the technicality weeds, it's still shaping regardless. Yeah. It's We're, the issue of definition. It's the issue of definitions. And I think that listening to you talking about that explanation, I think where I shared your frustration there is I used to worry if I do too much luring at the start, then I'm going to have to work a lot on fading it. Mm -hmm. But I just think I didn't understand fading well enough to utilize it correctly. Yeah. Whereas now when I'm looking at myself doing work and I'm luring behavior, I find the acquisition of fading quite easy now because it's not difficult. It was difficult for me to comprehend. It wasn't difficult for the dog to comprehend. Yeah. Like the dog was programmed into the behavior. You know, I've got enough reps up to establish a, a neuro connection with the dog. The dog goes, yeah, I understand it. Now I'm thinking, okay, well, now I'm going to withhold the treat until you show me a glimpse of the behavior, but I don't need the whole behavior. I just need part of the behavior yeah. for you to show me acquisition enough of it where I can go mark and indirectly reinforce the dog. Yeah. So then the dog goes, oh, now if I try a little harder because I'm now I'm in a, a variable schedule of reinforcement, now that I understand this, now if I push myself a little harder, now I can get into that behavior, earn the reinforcement, and possibly get a jackpot for the same behavior. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, like I remember that fear of fading. I kept thinking, oh, I don't really want to do this because I don't want to have to go through the agony of fading. That's what I used to call it, the agony of fading. Yeah. But again, I think that was ignorance on my behalf as a trainer and educator to do that. Yeah. What I've been doing with new behaviors I'm trying to teach my dogs and other dogs that I'm training is helping the dog in two ways. Yep. Helping the dog positively via the lure, right, very early on, and then quite quickly, quicker than I might have in the past, helping the dog with negative reinforcement as well. Yep. Because one of the things we sometimes find is, of course, there's a path to fading the lure and you just discussed it. But there's no reason a dog would ever want to avoid the lure other than efficiency. Mm. There's no reason for that. So if you're dealing with pet dogs, sometimes they're quite happy to be lured forever, like lower drive dogs, right? Yep. They're happy to be lured forever because they're like, well, this is, gives me a lot of clarity, gives me a lot of guidance. I'm in no rush to get to the position. You pay me every time anyway. It's just a continuous schedule of reinforcement. Yeah. Mm. So why not, mm. right? And then if they're not that, into the reinforcer, going to a variable schedule too quickly yep. or even at all with some dogs, you know, well, not at all, but almost everything is too quick with some like very lower drive dogs. Then it's like, you know, they're like, oh, well, I don't care that much. Right. Like they, the behavior can go extinct pretty quick because the dog's like, ah, oh, I'm not that into the reinforcer anyway. It's funny 
talking about this because this links to our last episode where we start talking about frustration because yeah. this is the capsule where it starts to begin. Yeah, yeah. Mm. That's where I find having a little bit of negative reinforcement into the behaviours that have already been layered with positive reinforcement helps the dog then like, go, oh, well, that's a lure that I don't like and yep. I want to beat it, mm-hmm. right? And it's not, you know, we're not yanking and cranking the dog. It's just some guiding pressure. And yeah. then what I've been really enjoying playing with is like – you know, using negative reinforcement quite playfully where it's it's like, I got you, you got me, you beat it, you didn't, right? And it's like, I make a big deal about like when I, it took me a while to understand this because I've been teaching people for a long time that the negative reinforcement value must be less than the positive reinforcement value in order to have a happily motivated dog, yep. right? And the easiest way I'm presently finding to do that is to play with the negative reinforcement and so that, I, you know, if, if the value is a ball, right, you're getting the ball no matter what, mm. how do I make that more valuable is when I win, when I manage to get the negative reinforcement onto you prior to you getting into the behavior or completing the behavior, then the way that I play is as if I'm the winner mm-hmm. and I give you another shot to have another go. And in doing that, I make the value of my delivery of the ball better because I am doing so victoriously. And I, the dog's like, oh, you motherfucker, give me another go. And the dog wants to do the behavior again so that he can have a shot at being the winner. And it's tricky because I you know, have a lot of experience with electric collars. You've really got to think hard about how to – be the winner and let the dog be the winner because you're in control of this. You're Mm. you're on the button, right? Whereas when you're doing this mechanically, like via tools, whether it's even your hands, even if you're just helping the dog in position, right? Like this is totally applicable to if you're a force free or like plus R, no tools trainer, you you probably are doing this stuff. If you're successful, you're just doing it with spatial pressure and that kind of stuff, right? You can play with it. Is that the dog really can beat you. Right. So like imagine you're using your prong collar and your dog's in a sit and you want to bring him into a heel and you're going to pop him into that heel with the prong. If you restrict yourself to then saying like, I'm not going to do that pop until I've given the command or as I'm giving the command, if the dog's fast, he can beat you. Mm -hmm. He can completely avoid it and miss it. And then he's the winner and you pay him appropriately. Right. Like, yeah, you fucking did it. Right. He's the orchestrated winner. And that's exactly what you're aiming for. No, but like with the prong, he really can beat you. Like he actually can be faster than you in spite of your best efforts. He actually can to get into position. Yeah. What's the problem with that? No, none. That's what I'm saying. It's perfect. That's That's exactly what you want. Yeah. But with the electrics, if you choose to hit the button, you choose to hit the button. Right. So that's where you've got to be a bit more skillful. Yes. You're no longer really playing a game. You're orchestrating like it's theater at that point. And I think that's what like I'm putting a lot of effort into teaching people at the moment Mm. because I've only just really truly had it sink in myself is that if you're using the electrics as negative reinforcement, especially if you're using, you know, what we would say is that tap that acts as a reinforcer of the command, right? There's no way for the dog to avoid that. It's going to happen. He can't be faster than the electric signal. Yep. So you, it needs your gameplay is now theater. You're not just playing the game. You're writing the script for the game, mm-hmm. right? Because it has a known outcome to you. You either push the button or you don't, right? Yep. Whereas when it's mechanical tools, the dog really can beat you. Yep. There's nothing you can do to avoid that. If yes. he's fast enough, he is, right? Yep. So it's a real game that you're actually playing together. Yep. 
Whereas with the electrics, it's a script that you've written in your head and you need to decide, hey, when was the last time I let him win one, right? Mm. And how did I act? And when was the last time I won one and how did I act, right? So it's a little bit harder to lose yourself in the game. It's not impossible, but it's a little bit harder for it to be a genuine game Mm. from the dog's perspective rather than just you saying, do this, do that, which also works. It totally works fine as well, right? Like it's not to say one's right or one's wrong, just one is in my opinion now a more fun experience for both yeah right well i think one you have more of an understanding of control and the other the dog has more of an understanding of control yeah totally Mm. yeah and so exactly along those lines there might be a reason you want to do one over the other yeah right like you might decide yeah one needs to be disguised because it would give too much of a prompt to the dog Whereas the other one, that's exactly what you want because you want the dog to try and thrash you in that. Yeah. Yeah. And you do the cost benefit analysis of like which one's going to work, but then you also have the considerations of which one am I physically able to do? Like if the dog's at distance, obviously I can't, you know, the prong, like I have to be on leash, blah, blah, blah. I can yep. use the electrics if it's at distance, all those kinds of considerations. And the other one, like another one, even when you're close by is that you don't have to fade out a physical cue at some stage exactly. of utilizing a hand movement or a gesture or a shoulder dip or a tell, some some. Form of tell. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Whew. So we've only touched on a couple of the things, but we expanded heavily on them. So we can go into the other things another time if, if, if people think this is helpful. Because what I did want to also talk about then is reinforcement schedules. Yep. Or, you know, what we could touch on it now. We could, I think, relevant to what we're discussing, because you and I tend to use that variable reinforcement schedule. We use that same phrase in different ways. Mm-hmm. So, you say like dogs at a variable reinforcement schedule when you're still teaching the behavior and you want a better version of the behavior. Yep. Right. And you use that to prompt the next bit, right? Yeah. I use, I actually use variable or intermediate, same word, um, yeah. same, same concept, but I actually utilize that to create frustration. Yeah. And for me, I find that works and I get the results that I'm desiring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you say that if you're teaching a dog to sit and you want it to be faster. Yep. You would just not reward, Correct. therefore it's variable, yep. so that the dog does the same behavior yeah. with more speed, intensity, power, whatever it is, and then you go, yes, because you tried harder having not gotten that reinforcer, yep. it created a version of the behavior that I do like now, and so here's your reinforcement, and now that's the minimum standard, and if you want to be reinforced, you've got to do that level again. The way that I like to work it with the dog is kind of like – and I know this is not an accurate description, so anyone who's into mathematics or computer science or anything like that, forgive me. Nerds. But <laughs> but I kind of link it to like binary. Mm-hmm. I don't want the dog to become seduced by a pattern. What I do want the dog to understand is that, okay, something went wrong here. I didn't get reinforced. I did the behavior. What is it that I need to do better about this behavior? This is where I like the you know, like to insert frustration into this conversation Mm -hmm. because I want the dog to go fucking hell. What is it? Like the last 20 times you clicked and gave me food or you clicked and threw a ball for me. What is it about now that this isn't happening for me? Mm. What do I have to do? And then by the dog experimenting in behavior. And as I said, the dog doesn't have to be absolutely 100% complete. I just need to see the effort that I want to squeeze from the dog. Mm. So if the dog tries to come in faster or tries, you know, like I can see sudden speed in the sit, bang, I'm going to reinforce the dog and jackpot the dog. Mm -hmm. And that's the new line of thinking that I want the dog to get onto. Now, as I tell the students, I said, the dog's not going to immediately get it at that point. 
you know, because this just becomes a new thread of behavior. So you might allow a couple of lazy sits to come in and then go back into another variable because you're saying to the dog, now I want you to think about it again. I want to challenge your thinking. Mm. So the dog is going, okay, well, here we are again. What did I do last time? Or why is this happening? But it's not predictive to the dog mm. yet, yet. Because when it is predictive to the dog, I'll lock the dog back into a continual schedule. So the relationship between those two is ebbing and flowing backwards and forwards mm. because I, I'm squeezing more out of the dog and saying, today is not enough. And this is how, when we start working on the fade, this is how I start getting it because now I can start saying to the dog, now I want you to experiment with harder behavior, whether it be that I need you to be faster in the sit or I need you to be tighter into me or move away from me a fraction. I just want the dog to come to these terms by itself without me having to push the dog or get somebody with a second lead to push the dog away or do something like that. I just want the dog to push through a range of behaviors to try something else. And then when it does, I'm going to reward the dog as long as it's accurate to the behavior that I want. Yeah. Now, when you're doing this properly, and again, this is where it's very important, and this has been quite a successful development for me when I'm working with students, is talking about millimeter, centimeter, meter. This is times where you have to get back into that millimeter metric system where yeah. you have to say, I'm going back to finite details. I'm not asking a lot, but I am asking for change. Mm -hmm. I'm asking you to shift direction because for the last 20 reps, we haven't. We've stayed continuous the whole way through and you've been rewarded for that the whole way through. Now that's no longer applicable. Mm -hmm. Now you need to be intelligent enough to try something else to move and shape the behavior in a new direction. What is it? Let's find out. Mm. Okay. Then the dog experiments. No, that's not it. Nothing happened. That's not it. Nothing happened. Hang on. I just got reinforced for something else. What did I do? And I want the dog... Because I believe that dogs are intelligent enough to work on that, to problem yeah, solve that. Of course. You know, I mean, we know they're cognitive enough to work on these things. And the reason we know that is because we're, it's indicative of the results that we actually start seeing down yeah. the track. There is no dog that I've ever worked with that hasn't come back and tried to work through that system to think, what did I do? I mean, Randy got so good at drops at one point that he would lift his legs up and fall on the ground. It was a problem for me because I created that as a mother behavior because yeah. I was obsessed about dropping. But he got so good at it that he wouldn't like lay down on the ground. His legs would fold up and he'd go bang and, and yeah. fall on the ground. And I thought, isn't that amazing? Yeah, yeah. But it became a problem for me later because I, I was obsessed with the wrong thing yeah. and I was communicating the wrong thing with him because I was so- And he had so much value in it that he was offering it. From all the time. Yeah. yeah. That was the, you know, like the mother behavior that he'd yeah. go, oh, I'll just drop. And he'd be like, I know, I heard you say sit. And I know you like sitting, Yeah, you fucking love dropping. That's exactly right. There was so much value in it <laughs> yeah. because I would light up when he'd do yeah, it. Yeah, I'd, yeah. You know, I'd get it. I'd go, oh, wow, well, look yeah. at that. That's so cool. I've never seen a dog enthusiastically drop that hard yeah. that he'll literally fold up in the air like a transformer and then fall on the ground. Yeah. To me, that was really cool. But then it wasn't. He was like, you know, you go out with a friend and you, they're going to buy you lunch yep. and you're like, oh, I'll get the burger. And then they go and they come back with a steak and they go, listen, I know you, I know, <laughs> I, I know you said burger <laughs> and I know you like burgers, yep. but you fucking love steak. Yep. And you're like, no, but today I wanted a burger. Go, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but you you're the steak, steak guy. <laughs> that was him when he's down. Yeah, that's, a great, that's a great analogy. Yep. Hey, but so here's the issue of language, right? Mm. You just gave that great explanation of 
intermittent schedule of reinforcement. How to, I use it. To bring on the final product of the behavior that you want. It's right? not so much the final product. It's helping me get to the final product. Sure, sure. Because when I'm getting into the final product, then I'm in proofing phase. But it's that's what I'm saying. So it's still like what I would say learning phase or you would say teaching phase, yeah, right? Same, same, but different. Then, so you call that intermittent schedule. Yep. When that behavior is fine, you're happy with it. Yep. And you've got five or six others and you're going to say sit, down, stand, heal, bite. What terminology do you use to describe that? All together? Yeah. A behavioral chain. Yeah, but so, okay, so then you're chaining. You say you're chaining because yep. for me, that's where I usually then say intermittent schedule because maybe you'll be paid, maybe you won't, right? Yep. Maybe I'll pay you for doing that behavior or maybe I'll just ask you to do a different behavior. Mm -hmm. And that's that's where I use intermittent schedule, right? Where you use it that term intermittent schedule as I'm still teaching you the behavior and I want a different version of it. So I'm going to prompt you via an intermittent schedule. Whereas I say intermittent schedule for maybe I'll pay you, maybe I won't. You did it perfectly. And I'm not just going to leave you there in the lurch. I'll ask you to do something else. It's yep. where I would in your terms, then be chaining behaviors. So here's the punchline. But it's still right? applicable on a micro and a macro scale. Yeah. yeah but here's the punchline. You and I talk to each other nonstop. Yep. We're literally here every week talking to each other for at least an hour plus an hour of bullshit and we train together. But we still and have we our own use terms. different language. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for the same shit. I agree yeah. with everything you said. Yeah. We're just using that word intermittent schedule differently. Yeah, I agree. What but fucking hope have we got of arguing with people on the internet about this? I know, but we're we're both right. Yeah. Yeah, we're both right. We're because, just saying different words well, for the same thing. Well, if you look at it, like I said before, intermittent schedule can be used on a, on a micro and a macro scale. Okay. So it doesn't mean that you can't – just because I'm using it to drift from continuous to the intermittent, you know, and I mean, as I'm saying, when I'm starting to work in shaping – those two have a relationship with each other because I can't break the continuous loop without going into minute. Yeah. I just can't do it. Otherwise, the dog is basically locked in a continuous feedback loop where yeah. it's just doing the same behavior oh, no, totally. over and over I, I, again. I'm 100% with you. But when you then say to someone, put that dog on an intermittent schedule, yeah. if they're from your model, they're going to go, okay, for this behavior, I'll withhold until a different version of the behavior happens and then I'll pay. Yeah. Or if they don't know the way you use it and they do think of it the way I do, they're going to do a completely different thing. They're going to start asking for other behaviors. Yep. Right? So it's just interesting that mm. the same words, the same description is going to have a really different result depending on the person and their imprinting on that word. Yep. And, and what would happen would be anybody that's done NDTF would know exactly what you mean. And anybody that's done like my course would know exactly what I mean. Yep. And then those two, and there's still no problem, except when two of those people now come together. They argue with each other because they go, hang on, that's not right. They're going to argue over. Yep. And this is what we see a yep. lot throughout the community is people within different camps, right? Now, you and I are not big camps, right? And nor do I want to be one. Mm. But there are big trainers with big camps. And what I see a lot is they're like, fuck you guys. You guys are wrong. And it's like, well, actually, they're just using the same words to describe a different thing from you, right? Like, it's just they're doing very similar stuff. Do you think they like that, though? Well, that's part of the slave the to their genetic yeah. well, slave to their genetic inputs of yeah, needing a, a I also group think to belong to. Yeah, I also think it's part of the theater as well. Could totally be. Mm. The theater of the game that we're playing. Yeah. Oh, dear.
Help me so, wrap it up. So, so, <laughs> just before we do, just before we do. So when you start shaping, mm-hmm. right, and you need to break your dog out of that process, what do you call it? Like when you're continuously doing something and you know, I need more behavior from this dog and I can't get it without mm. breaking this, what do you label it as? Like what do you call that? Um, I'm not sure. I don't know. Like I, I don't have a catch cry for that. I would say, you know, it depends on really specifically what the behavior is. Mm. So I would say, you know, prompt him for more, but I, that's probably all I would say. I would say prompt the dog for more and whether that would be via withholding or whether that would be via negative reinforcement or whatever. I think that's the term I would say, prompt him for more. Yeah. And like the- But prompt- once you start withholding- don't you see that you're now dipping into a variable schedule? Like I'm yeah, not trying yeah. to convince you of seeing it. No, my no, way. I agree with you. No, I agree mm. with you. Like that terminology is correct. Mm. The way you use it is totally correct. It's variable depending on the outcome of the behavior. Yep. It, that will vary, mm. right? And when I say I mean it variable as in binary, as in you may or may not. I don't need you to do anything different. Yep. I just will choose whether to tell you to do something but else. But it's right or whether in both applications. That. That's right. Because it's still micro and macro scale. Totally. Mm. Uh, like that's the point. Yeah. Is that they're both correct. Because once you've formed a behavior chain and you're asking for more for the dog, you're basically saying, you know, like I've established this network of behaviors. Yeah. I want you to do it, but I want you to do it in faster succession today. Yeah. You know, like if you don't do it in faster succession, I'm not going to give you the reward straight away. For example, you might say something else. I might say to the dog, good, to create a bit of frustration. So the dog might go, fuck you, good. Like, what do I need to do to get it now? And I work faster. So I'm now on an intermittent schedule mm-hmm. because I need to I need to work out what the routine is to get me to that either direct or indirect reinforcer. Because yeah. I know it's there and I know that I can access it, but I now have to push myself into a harder realm of, of what do I need to do to solve this problem to get paid for it? Yeah. So what I would say, like if we're just talking positive reinforcement mm-hmm. in the training phase of when you're going to reinforce, I would use the term- Differential reinforcement. So that's what I would say. Like there will, there will be a reason why you are and a reason why you're not, mm-hmm. right? Like it's that differential. I'm going to put value in different things. And there's lots of different types of differential reinforcement Absolutely. as well. But for me, when I say variable, I mean you may or may not, even though you've done it perfectly, now we're into the, the gambling section of it, right? Yep. Like do it to find out whether you're going to be reinforced. But again- I'm not arguing yours. I think yours is totally correct. Mm. With, they both we're not are. arguing with each other because no. we're both agreeing to agree. Yeah, but yeah. it's just when someone says the fix is putting the dog on a variable reinforcement schedule, then the follow-up question has to be on the micro or the macro. Yeah. Right? Like per behavior. But I would say that I feel that kind of needs to be obvious. Because if you're in the midst of working on, you know, like a micro level, Mm. then it should be obvious to you that in order to break a cycle, because you can't break a cycle unless you you go to a variable schedule. You just cannot do it. It is inconceivable in my eyes how you can move. And if anybody feels that there is, I'd like an explanation, like a proper scientific explanation on on how that would occur, because I can't understand. Well, the only way it could stick with the same schedule of positive reinforcement is to introduce the level of negative reinforcement. That's the only way you'd be able to maintain the same positive reinforcement and improve the behavior. But do you think that does? Because that's more 
punishing the dog for trying to do the behaviour if you're introducing a negative into it. Negative no, negative reinforcement. So oh, sorry, negative. Be, no, no, yep. Yeah. yeah. So it would be you're going to get paid when you sit, no matter whether it takes you one second or five seconds, I'm going to pay you and the payment is going to be one piece of kibble. Yep. If if you can't change that positive side, you're going, you know, like you would suggest, then the only way if that's a fixed to, is to introduce another variable somewhere else and that would be the negative reinforcement that drives yep. a dog into but it. But that's still a variable. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is, but it's not a variable of positive reinforcement. It's the variable of negative reinforcement, mm-hmm. which is true in some behaviors. Like there are some behaviors where you can't affect like your self-reinforcing behaviors and that kind of stuff. There are times where the dog is like on – because it's not when the reinforcer is a, a piece of kibble you're giving the dog, but it's a real-life example where the reinforcer is fixed and unvariable and environmental. Mm-hmm. So then you go, oh, okay, my only influence over this is negative reinforcement. Absolutely. And that's how I can – Break the dog out of that cycle. Yeah, and that's yep. where I can introduce the variability. Yep. Hmm. So we could talk about this for hours. Absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah. a fascinating topic. It really is because dog training can be so simplified when you're ignorant, you yeah. know, because ignorance is bliss. It can be so simple. But when you actually get down to the the mechanics of what's happening behind the scenes, you know, it's basically like the way I look at dog training is it's like using an app. You just go, oh, it just press my finger on here. and But when you look at the coding that goes in behind that, you're thinking, holy fucking shit. Like, how do these people even know how to do all this? Yeah. You know, like to get that graphic to appear in that position just so I can come up with my clumsy old finger and just put it on it. Now, that's the two realms that exist in dog training. One is very click and play. It's very ignorant, you know, but you're subject to that level of understanding of it as well. So you you reap those benefits from it. Mm-hmm. But when you actually understand the mechanics and the coding that goes in behind it, there's a whole paradigm that you can change in everything that you're doing with the behavior of the dog. Because then you can change, you know, like if we're talking relating this to an app, you, you can change the whole dynamic of how the app works and how it looks and how it appears because you understand the mechanics that sit behind it. Yeah. So let me expand on that example. Mm. I feel like- Dog training should be an app that you built. Yep. So yes, yes, I agree. In the moment, you're just clicking on it, nah, 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 <laughs> right? And you're just training the dog. Yep. Right. But then, when something goes wrong, you have to be able. That's to pull where it you apart. have to go back into the code. Yep. And go, how come this is happening? Yep. And if if you're ha- if nothing goes wrong, you don't need to understand that shit. And if your you know level that you're satisfied with is below noticing that things go wrong. You mm. never need to interfere with the code. Yep. But I feel like in the moment, you should be just using You should be a app. developer. You should, yeah. you should understand that this is not working the way I expected it to work. Now I have to pull it apart and find out where the corruption began. Yeah. Like where is this set off or why isn't this connecting to this screen? Yeah. Why is it not? Why are they not talking to each other? And I think, you know, for me, this is what I enjoy to do. I love teasing that out and figuring it out and putting it back together. And, yep. you know, it's not always helpful. For, certainly sometimes you can think yourself into a fucking thought puzzle from which there's no escape. Yep. Like that happens for sure. Mm. But I think it's, you know. I just got a mental image of you sitting in your sauna. <laughs> That's me. Yeah, I know. Because when I've talked to you about things, you've you've had a sauna session, and I just know that. Yeah. That's where you're- That's where uh, I do my deep thinking. That's where you do your deep thinking. I tell you, it's negative reinforcement because if you just be present in the moment, you realize I'm cooking. So you've got to be somewhere else in your mind. <laughs> you've got to be like, I'm out of here. Body, you have to stay here. You have to reap the benefits of this bullshit. Yep. But my mind is fucking elsewhere and I'm 
like totally out of my body because I'm like, fuck all this. I was doing that when I had a tattoo from Jane. Yeah. You know, meditate out of it. Yeah. I was meditating out of it. I was just thinking, yes, this is hurting and yes, it's uncomfortable and it's going to be like four and a half hours of this. So I have to be elsewhere. Like I have to occupy other space. Otherwise, all I'm going to do is just be sitting here winting at this going on. That happened to me for realsies on my physio's table. So he was releasing my psoas because of my the way my back's man. The way my back's fractured, I can't do it myself. It goes in from the front. Yeah. So I I can never stretch my psoas. So I have to get it sort of manually released. And it's fucking painful when he does it. But it's like this really bad shooting pain. It usually goes down my leg. Yeah. And one day he was doing it and it went up and it was going up into my chest. The pain of it went beyond where my psoas attaches. And I was thinking, what the fuck is going on? And it felt like it still is the worst. I've been in some pain, right? Like I know a thing or two about pain. This is the worst I've ever felt in my life. It felt like a slow moving lightning bolt going up through my chest. And when it got into my neck, it was honestly, I felt like my vision was closing in. Like Mm. everything went starry and our vision closed in. I'm almost positive. What happened was my mind said to my body, you have to be here but we don't. Yeah, like, it's time to pass out. I'm out. Yeah. I just went unconscious on his table, Yep, like blacked out from the pain. I come back around. He's like, you still with me? I was like, yeah, yeah I'm back. And he goes, it was much easier with you unconscious. Yeah. <laughs> like, he didn't stop. He's like, I really, I really got it out. Yeah. Like, what else did you do to me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, well, I mean, that is a serious nerve cluster when you start uh, messing around with that area. I've got a, a psoas stretcher that I bought because, yeah, yeah. I mean, BJJ just does horrendous things to your body. Yeah. You know, and at my age and, and all that physical exertion and everything like that, yeah. sometimes I just get home and lay on this thing. And like you said, you know, like you can just feel that incremental pain just shooting through your body and you just think, why am I doing yeah. this to myself? How long until we get a comment, what's a psoas? How do you spell that? Why do you guys keep saying it? (laughs) Psoas is a really deep internal, it's one of your hip flexors. Yep. Anyway. All right, I'm going to wrap it up. Yeah. Hey, that's it for another episode of The Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from and then do it from another one. Mm. If you want to support the show, best way is Patreon. Like I said- it's hard to convey without just sort of saying, like, yeah, thanks, guys. The appreciation. Yeah, yeah. It's really hard to explain how much it means to us that people contribute money in there. Mm. Um, and it's never facetious, the gratitude that no, we have as well. Like it's it, amazing. It is. It's absolutely incredible that there is a plethora of people out there who feel that we're worthy to be supported. Yeah. I do absolutely agree with you. I can't convey without sounding facetious. I can't convey how amazing I think it is that we're two guys from Australia when there's other guys, you know, well, there's people internationally and so forth that people could be donating money to and and resources and so forth. But yet there is, it's not only that, it's also the gratitude that's conveyed to us, Mm. you know, like written gratitude of all sorts of different messages as well that come through that. You know, it's so amazing. Really, really appreciate it. Yep. So, yeah, you could. If you're not already, you could give some money in there. Be much appreciated. And like I said, I'm super excited about the content that I've got coming. Just so everyone knows, it's not going to be on the monthly schedule. It's going to be when it's done, I'm going to put it out yep. because I really want to make a high quality product. I think that's fair. Yeah. And it's tricky because I, I'm dealing in other people's schedules, the interviews and stuff that I want to do. I have to work around other that's people. Right. Some of it requires, uh, anyway, you, you'll see it. I'm excited about it. Great. The other way is Teespring. Yes. 
You can look cool. Yeah. I mean, it's not just about giving us money. You it's don't about looking just, fucking cool. That's right. You can go and impress your friends and neighbours and like look around and go, look what I got. I got a cool story, bro. Show me your dog. So I was in the dog park recently and there were a couple of dog walkers there and they were like, oh, you're that bloke from the show. And I was like, you mean this show? And I turned around and I had my hoodie on. <laughs> and they were like, played. And they were like, no, that TV show. And they thought I was someone else. Oh. <laughs> So all I did was make myself look like a dickhead <laughs> that I am. Anyway, that's not true. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Made up that whole thing. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, get get some cool merch. If you want to get in contact with us, the best way to do that is if you want dog training advice or you just want to hang out with cool people on the line, jump in the Facebook discussion group, which is mm-hmm. the Canine Paradigm discussion group. But if it's Or personal, Instagram. Oh, yeah, get on Instagram. Check us out on the gram. Yep. Glenn's posting some fire memes there. Did you make that one of the dog playing piano? No, I did not. I cannot I cannot claim to that. That was a that was a high quality meme. So whoever made that, congratulations to you. That it was sent to me by one of the listeners and I looked at it and I thought that is absolutely hysterical. Looked at it and thought, I'm gonna whack a watermark on that and call it my own. (laughs) (laughs) I actually credited the listener for sending it to us. Like in the in the comments I said Listeners send it through to it, us. Yeah. That is a fire meme. Yeah. I've made some of them. Like some of them are my no, memes. You do some good ones. Yeah. You do some great ones. Mm. Well done on your meme, sir. Thank you, sir. I do some audio clips too from our shows oh, before yeah. I put the episode out. I usually take a little clip from the audio and put that on Instagram as well so yeah. people can listen along. We were talking at the start of the show. So yeah, we've said it a few times and I've even done a little teaser about it. Like we want to start recording the show mm. video and then putting out clips of it. It's just the logistics around that are kind of difficult. It, Fuck, I'm going to need Botox. Yeah. <laughs> well, aside from that, you have to look at our ugly heads. The legit, like the biggest concern, and no one can see what I'm pointing at, is this fucking skylight because the light oh, yeah. in here changes all the time. So if you have cameras in here, then we probably the, put a blank over it. We'll have to do something mm, about it. So yeah. there's a, just logistics around that in, in that we don't want to just put out like, here's us. Our right? Patreons will pay for that. Thanks, guys. Yeah. So you yeah. guys are going to do something about this. We're going to have to black that out somehow so that yep. we can have consistent light because now that I'm a mad filmmaker, now or, that I'm a cinematographer. Or if there's a, a sugar mama or daddy out there who wants to buy us like a, a full studio. A full studio we, we will gratefully accept that and we'll call we'll name it in your honour. That we'll, would be funny. We'll call it the studio. We absolutely should. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't yeah. that be awesome? Yeah. I mean, come on, Bill Gates, you're divorced now. Yeah. You know, like you and Melinda. Or Melinda. Melinda. What maybe. happens with like the microchips that they've been putting in people? Like who gets, when now that they're separated, Bill, Bill gets control Bill. of the microchips? Yeah, Bill does. Yeah. <sighs> There was like, a meme on that where he was looking up microchip girls to stalk. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're the we're the kids of the divorcees, and we're like arguing over who's going to get us. Yeah, I don't know Melinda at all. Well, we can get to know her. Oh, like well, she can. If she I can. if if she wins my microchip in the custody battle, she'll be tracking me. Yeah. Anyway, that's ridiculous enough. Anyway, shoot us an email. We are info at the canineparadigm.com. Goodbye.